Hey everybody, it's uh, Paul Carruthers here, the communications manager for Moto America. We're back with another of our weekly podcasts off track. I'm joined as always by Sean Bice. And today we have a, a special guest, Sean, um, in, in keeping up with our old guy, I guess you could say old guy month. Uh, we've got Eric Boston going to be joining us today on, on our podcast. And uh, I know you go by, way back with Eric like I do and, and remember those days when, uh, when he was a big part of the AMA Superbike Championship. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, you know, we don't in our minds, we don't seem to ever age. And, you know, I still think of Eric as well. I think about him as a twin sport rider, even, you know, when he when he was back uh, racing in that series and had started out. But um, it's it's hard to believe that the time has passed. But, hey, I want to I want to mention one other thing, too. Uh, we're going to Road America next week. I know. I can't <laughs> wait. It's I, I was talking to Wayne Rainey on the phone this morning and he's like, when's the last time we raced? And it's like, what, September? I mean, we had, we had the barber test, which was kind of cool because we at least, you know, got to see everybody and it, it made it at least seem like it was this year. Um, and then of course all hell broke loose with, with the virus and, uh, and we've been put on hold, but yeah, we get to start up next weekend and I'm actually looking forward to, uh, to getting on the airplane and, and flying to Wisconsin and, and going through the whole drill there, it'll be, uh, it'll definitely be different. Um, as everybody knows, or as most people know, we're, we're doing this first one without fans. Uh, so that in itself will make things uh, a little bit different. It's, it, it'd probably feel a little bit more like a, like an official test than a race because of the fan factor. But uh, either way, I mean, as we've seen in the past, Road America always has incredible races and fans or no fans, um, I think we can expect the same thing, which is obviously going to make for very good television and also our um, Moto America Live Plus. So there's going to be plenty of options for, for, for people wanting to watch the races. Um, we've also announced today that the Super Sport races, both of those are going to be shown live on Mav TV, which is our, our new TV partner that is going to handle all the Super Sport races this year. But it's kind of cool that... Uh, to get this thing started, we're going to start it off right with, uh, with live races. So yeah, plenty of, uh, if I wasn't going, I definitely know I'd be parked in front of the TV all weekend. So it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. I mean, I get to avoid that human Petri dish that is an airplane and I, and drive up. This is the one that I drive to the furthest one that I drive to. It's about uh, an eight or 10 hour drive, but well worth it, especially in this, this age, I'll be able to stay in the car and get up there safely. So uh, we'll, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I have actually have a something related to this that I want to run by Eric when we bring him in here. So um, so why don't you go ahead, Paul, and then I'll, I'll kind of ask Eric this to start with, I think. Most of you probably know what Eric Bostrom has done in his career, but if not, I'll give you a short little sample. But uh, he raced in AMA racing for a long time and was very successful. Raced in basically every class that they had. Um, 1998 Formula Extreme Champion, 2001 Supersport Champion. In 2001, he sec finished second in the Superbike Championship to a guy named Matt Maladden. In 2002, he finished second in the title chase to a guy named Nicky Hayden. Um, so he didn't win a superbike title, but he came very close on two occasions. He's also 10th on the all-time superbike win list with 15 wins. That ties him with Freddie Spencer. Uh, you know, Eric, I have to tell you, 
I don't. I, I wish I would have known this when we had Ben on a couple of weeks ago. But you're actually a more successful AMA Superbike racer than Ben because you had a lot more victories. You know, I I would have appreciated you reminding him. <laughs> hey, it's good to good to have some uh, human interaction here, and 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 uh, I'll take any shot I can to uh, kind of get at Ben. So that's that's great. It's a brotherly competition thing. Let's start with that brotherly that brotherly competition thing. I that had to have been something that's been forever, right? Forever. I mean, especially for me. Like Ben had a couple of years without it, so uh, right. <laughs> being the older brother, uh, it's um, it's been amazing. Eric, like we, yeah, Sean, go, Eric. I was just going to say, is that a case? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I wanted to ask. You mentioned about the. You're the younger brother, obviously, we, we know that. It, do you compare, have, I've never asked you this before, but you know, they always said Nicky's uh, talent and prowess came because he was always chasing Tommy around. So do, is that kind of your situation? You were chasing Ben around? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've been asked a lot, like, how do you get faster? And it's like, well, you need, you know, you, you rise to the, the talent you're around. And, and ultimately, like, just chasing Ben wouldn't have been enough. We would have, we would have uh, kind of, backed off to a comfortable limit, whether, you know, cause there was no one else to, to push us beyond that. So um, that said, like some of the biggest races I've ever won have been against no one other than Ben in the backyard. And we're just, you know, battling on some kind of, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, dirt bike or flat track bike. But, um, you know, if you want to get faster, you have to race and being able to, you raised your brother for all those years, is, or brother or sister. I mean, um, we need, you know, obviously uh, all, all genders in. And, but being able to raise your sibling is is just, it gives you an edge up. And I, I know that that was huge for me, certainly watching the Haydens come up. Um, and I remember seeing Nikki the first time I ever met him was at a, a small short track in Bellevue, Bellevue, Illinois. And I was like, man, this kid is fast. Like, he's 15. He was, he was uh, you know, just keeping up with, you know, he, he made the main event, which is, which is insane. You know, was, that, that was like a big first race. And so everyone was there from, you know, like Chris Carter, uh, you know, all the, all the big names at the time. And, uh, and, and to see this 15-year-old, like, in the show was, was just amazing. So, yeah, I would say that uh, it, it's not that he couldn't have got there or I couldn't have got there, but it sure gave us a, a leg up on it. Looking back at those two superbike championships that you finished second in, was which one of those was your better year? Oh, for sure, two thousand two, um, racing with Nikki. In two thousand one, we had we we're still trying to get the bike sorted out, and, uh, and the team was still semi new. The Kawasaki team kind of gelling. It just it, it really hadn't all coalesced yet, but. In 2002, things were going really good. And unfortunately, we had a, a burnt out clutch in Daytona, which took us out of the race entirely. And then um, another mechanical somewhere in the middle of the season. And uh, the second to last race, which was at VIR, we had a pretty handy lead, I think, like a seven second lead. The race is in the bag for me, as far as I was concerned. And then the, the, the motor locked up. We, we lost the bottom end. So, um, so, you know, I think if we, could have put those three races back on back on the you know kind of on the well it got points at those three races it would have been a, you know 
it could have been our championship, which would have been, you know, huge, huge, huge to beat all the V twins at that time on the seven fifty. You know, back to talking about you and Ben. So early on, you guys you guys raced twin sports together. I mentioned that at the top. Um, I can't remember if that was the same team or not, but I know that you guys raced together uh, with Honda um, and then uh, with Yamaha. But in between that, and correct me if I'm wrong on this stuff, but in between that, a lot of times you guys were on different teams. And I was thinking about this. In 2005, I believe you were on a Ducati and then in 2006, Ben was on a Ducati, but it, I don't, it wasn't the same team, I don't think. But how often was it a situation where, you know, I remember Ben followed you onto the Yamaha team after you were already with them. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, how that whole situation with you two brothers was with being teammates, but also kind of being on separate teams and you kind of end up following each other around a little bit through the paddock? Yeah, we did it in, in both directions, really. It was um, in 2000. Sorry, 1995 uh, that um, I was racing with Bartels and Ben was on, well, Ben was on the Bartels team at that time too, which was the first time we were ever like officially teammates together. And, um, and so we like traveled all over the country and box ran and hit all these Harley races, both flat track and road race. Um, and then he ended up on the Honda ride in 2007 on the zero gravity ride which got me a ride thanks ben and and uh and so we were teammates again and and then some really weird stuff happened with honda and ben ended up winning the championship but moving on to ducati and i ended up in ben's place which you know i always well it, it is what it is it's, you know in the past but um and and so there was like that that time i guess where i was sort of following Ben's footsteps from, you know, like their gravity Honda to the factory Honda team. And then uh, some, at some point it sort of turned around and yeah, I raced Ducati on the Ducati for a couple of years. And then um, it was the same team. It was Austin Ducati, um, parts unlimited team. And, uh, and so in 2005, it was uh, Neil Hodgson and I, and then 2006, it was Ben and Neil. So that was, that was a pretty right. great team, but I, I think, uh, I think ultimately, they were not on the most competitive equipment at that point. It was just, you know, racing a thousand cc win against thousand cc four cylinders was not the recipe for success at the time. Boy, I'll tell you, we've gotten a lot of a lot of the fan questions, a lot of fan inquiries, and whenever we do the thir throwback Thursday posts and we have you in there on the ZX seven and you see like that RC fifty one and everybody's like, How the heck could Ben have ridden a 750 against those 1,000cc bikes? Can you talk about that? Yeah, Sean, if you get my name right. Yeah, you though, called him on. Ben. I'm, yeah. Did <laughs> no, I say that? Actually, that? Yeah. Yeah, you did. But it, it's, it's always a compliment. <laughs> and I always joke that I would always love to wear Ben's shoes. Like, no matter where I'm at, like, it's just a good place to be. He has this way of sort of, gliding on a magic carpet through things and um I, I'll, I'll i'll take that i apologize I'll take that compliment. <laughs> i apologize um, eric bostrom well let me just say this again and before you answer that question now that you mentioned that because i was going to say something about this later during your career a lot of people would wonder if you guys were fraternal twins or whatever and they never really understood and it's it's actually amazing how different the two of you guys are 
Um, you're both very contemplative and introspective in your own ways, but you definitely kind of march to different drummers, I guess. So I, we can talk, maybe you can talk about that after, but yeah, for the first part, Eric Bostrom, please talk about when you were on a, a 750 against those uh, thousands and how that was. It was it was a rad time for racing. I mean, there was just uh, you know, I say the golden era. There was so so much uh, so much competition in the paddock, and the the teams were pretty stacked with the ability to give us good equipment and put the money into it. So the Kawasaki was largely competitive because we had so many parts. Like we could dial in the transmission for each track, like to you know down to a, a kilometer it was it was awesome so that the, the transmission itself would do a lot of the work getting us around the racetrack and uh and then the the cowie had a pretty good power plant and the 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 front end of the bike was really good so you could like lean pretty heavy on on those factors and kind of try to mitigate the issues with the rear grip the bike really never got the rear grip that we needed and every time we tried to incorporate more grip and to get more uh, chain force um, with uh, mechanical grip, it, it just sort of made the bike, it turned the bike into a scissor. It, it sort of like, uh, it was, you know, always trying to pitch you off. So we were never able to get that, that drive grip that we needed to get fully competitive with like the newer, newer generation motorcycles. But a lot of it just like, you know, it was, it was at a time where the tires would still go off. Um, and that, that played into our hand because you could, you could hammer really hard at the beginning and, and then try to hold on for dear life. And at that point, um, running out of horsepower wasn't quite a, you know, it, it wasn't quite as big of a penalty. So I think there were a lot of factors that, that kept us competitive, but ultimately it was just a great team. Like the team really, really put everything into making that motorcycle run up the front. And it really was a good development team. I think, you know, I've been around and there's some teams that like, they literally just bolt parts onto the bikes and kind of go racing. And, and, uh, and the, the Kawasaki team pushed hard to make that, that machine better. So um, that, that was, uh, that was just a, it was, it was a, it was awesome to have that support. Well, people look back at that and they're just in awe of that when they understand the whole thing. And was that, was that uh, bike truly a 750 or was that punched out to like an 850 or something? What, what was the situation on the displacement with that? Yeah, in, in 2001 and two when we were runner-up, it was 750. And then in 2003 when we were leading the championship and then had uh, that, that uh, injury at Laguna Seca and World Superbike with the crash there in the first turn, um, that that one was at eight thirty eight, so it was uh, I don't know. It had a little more grunt, but the seven fifty was actually a better, better, uh, better machine, a, a little better package. But you can, you know, I think on the seven fifty I could turn the same lap time or maybe even better. But it was easier to race on the eight thirty eight with that little extra torque because you would end up mm -hmm. you know having the ability to make a move. Talking about you and Ben, I mean Ben's Ben's mellowness is sort of legendary, but you're not you're right there. Who is actually like the more chill individual? I know that's like it's gotta be a close contest, but 
Sometimes I think it's you. That's that's pretty funny. I, I would, I wouldn't consider any boss from chill. I mean, we, were, <laughs> you know, like my dad is uh, pushing eighty, and he still wants to beat all the kids, you know, like with their national numbers, and we're out of flat track, and he's like, I, I think I, I think I got this guy. And I'm like, I think you do too, Dad. Like you're good. Um, I th I think there's too much kind of like fire. I don't know. I'd say like fire, fire. Uh, and passion to be chill I, I think we we both have our our own way of like getting away from it all and you know uh whether it's like we can really simplify life and uh, and I, I i value that we spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up and i think that's you know a huge advantage to see the old world ways and um you know if, if ben and i are out together it's like hey you know go riding bicycles but maybe there's a backpack on we'll try to find uh some some mushrooms or something in the forest you know um not the hallucinogenic kind that's funny. not the magic one <laughs> yeah exactly um we don't need the psilocybin although it's called rage these days um but <laughs> i i think i think we 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 are somewhat spiritual and in that way. So that's why we really like the rock climbing and uh, surfing kind of feeling that, that energy. But I wouldn't classify us as chill. I mean, it, Ben's the most competitive, competitive person I know. And, um, and I think that I'm, I think I, I, I'd like to have a little bit more of that competitive spirit that he has, but I, I think I got enough of it to make you. Yeah, you did all right with it. Well, there's one story I have to tell because maybe chill wasn't the right word, but we talked to we talked to Ben about him and his missed flights and and all that sort of stuff. But I remember one time and I don't know what racetrack we were at, but we were staying at a Hampton Inn or whatever, one of these places that had, you know, free breakfast in the morning. So I'm sitting there eating my cereal and the basically the rooms cleaned out the mechanics and everybody have left and gone to the track they have to be there a little sooner so i'm sitting there eating my cereal and eric walks in and sits down and he's having his cereal or whatever and then i get up to leave and he's like uh hey paul um are you on the track and i said yeah and he said hey you mind if i get a ride <laughs> so i in my mind i'm thinking how is this guy going to get to the track if it wasn't for me so that's kind of what I mean by like <laughs> chill. Like you, you, I, I would have been at the track like six hours ago in my leathers, you know, and here you, <laughs> here you, here you are eating breakfast with not even a ride to the track yet, but you knew you were going to figure it out and it would all be taken care of. Now there's an easy explanation for this and it, it's uh it's the Bostrom curse. <laughs> so this, this happened when we were kind of uh, getting into racing and I quickly realized that it really didn't matter how hard we tried to get to the track, um, which really wasn't hard enough in general because we were never there on time. The only people that were later to the track than us were the, the weights um, because they were oftentimes, uh, um, well, I guess uh, they, were, they were practicing religion and, um, and so missing the whole there but that's okay and, and uh so sometimes <laughs> we were actually the second to last people to the track because they would they would get there later but um and and so the crazy thing about this is if we left we'd be going to lodi cycle bowl leaving san francisco 
And if, if practice started at five and we left at two, which is more than enough time, we would get there late because something would go wrong. Like there'd be, you know, some kind of tragedy on the freeway or like, uh, you know, we'd have a blowout or, and then if we left way too late, like if we left at five and you're thinking, okay, we're going to miss, like, we're going to miss the heat races and everything else. The water truck at Lodi would break and we'd be fine. So I, I, I learned pretty early on that, like, you just don't fight slow. Like, it's going to work out. And, and, and the, the curse will, will take you in the right direction. So, uh, so you just got to ride, ride out. You got to know, you got to know your hand and ride it out. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Hey, Eric, um, one of the things, last week, Paul and I were on alone and we were talking about how weird it's going to be to be racing at Road America with no fans. And he had brought up about the year that they had a delay because of mist or whatever it was, uh, fog at Laguna Seca and Freddie Spencer won on a, on a Monday. And I remembered the time that you were at Loudoun and as Loudoun usually was, it would rain a lot. Well, this hap this one year, I think it might have been 99. You can correct me on what year it was, 99, 2000, something like that. Um, and uh, there was so much rain that they couldn't run the race until Monday, and it was televised. But you won that race on Monday. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit and refresh our memories? Yeah, it was the last Loudon. It was 2001, and we never went back there after that. I, I enjoyed, you know, kind of rallying around that racetrack, although it was a little dangerous, as we know. But, um, you know, like you put on your race face and as, as uh, it, you know, like it, it, the, the fans make the racing. Like they, so, so yes, it was a little empty because without that energy, um, just getting to the starting line, you're like, oh, this is a little hollow, right? Like, like we're here to to put on a show and and uh and and it was it, but but then once you put down your visor you just you just go for it and sure that the the podium ceremony was a little hollow but it was it once 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 the green flag dropped like the race was on and you know of course you wouldn't have a worry in the world because you're just out there to to, to beat up on all your pals so uh so it was it was a great day for the team we should have probably had a double victory that weekend because uh because we had the hand, the 600 race handily kind of i think in the bag too and um and we didn't get a race that event so i think it came with mixed emotions that we didn't that we didn't get that but um racing racing and i mean there's no reason to race without fans not at not at the professional level um and hopefully the mm. the idea here is that we get things rolling and uh television package and keep people interested in racing so that when we do return to real racing with with, uh, with the fan support that they will return with well said hey of these 10 superbike wins that you've had um in your career is which one stands out the most i mean some people would say it's your first but is that is that accurate with you or is that there one that's a little more special than the first one I, i'm gonna point out that it's 15 because and I wouldn't know this. Oh no no no! You I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No no no! There's 15. You're tenth on the list. My bad. I mixed up my numbers. You're, you're absolutely right. right. Sorry. I, I gotta take a jab when hey, I can. At least I didn't call um, you Ben. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I, it, it is. 
there's a there's a few special ones in there and um the most obvious it was kind of in 98 having really just raced harleys and uh and then still really not understanding what i was doing on road race bike and then they with miguel getting injured at loudon and jumping on his bike and i was trying to sort of get this animal figured out and it just all worked out at the perfect timing like everyone kind of thought at the end of the race like wow eric you really timed that right like you came from kind of mid-pack and then right in the last two laps you put on this charge and just caught everyone with your pants down i'm laughing thinking no i didn't like i was just figuring out the motorcycle at the end of that 100k race and it if the race were two laps shorter i wouldn't have won and if it were four laps longer i would have been long gone <laughs> like i was just coming uh, so the timing was so so perfect on that um but to have that uh like i guess thrust into like uh wow i can i can i can do you know anything um and, and win a superbike race although it was larger at that point the motorcycle i don't think i did a very good job that day um and then kind of uh moving forward on that i think you know having some some really special i don't know the victories like the victories aren't always like the one the standout you know it's it's uh it's oftentimes some of those just those those dog fights that you had and they don't necessarily end up in a win but they're still like some of the the biggest efforts and the best races of your life and i think that's where we grow um we grow as riders and and uh and humans that have that depth of talent to draw upon um but there's there's uh there's been a lot of really hard fought ones and i think you know, kind of like some of those World Superbike races at Laguna Seca where, you know, like kind of trading blows and uh, on an underdog underdog machine with uh, with all these thousands of feet bikes that, uh, you know, like Colin Edwards and Fortelis and my brother and Ruben and Neil riding. It, it, it was just, uh, and Nori, I guess. It was like, you know, that that was a really special time. And did I win? No, but 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 we showed up and we raced and, and that was uh, that was rad. So I think the 2002 Laguna Seca was one of my highlights in that regard. Mm. We we had a fan that uh, reminded me of something that I always admired about you when you rode, and it, I seem to remember it mostly when you're on that Ducati. And I actually asked you one time: it's the fact that you are were seemingly always able to get these amazing starts on the bikes. And I remember asking you one time, I'm sure you don't remember this, but I was like, you think you could, I, I think you might've even worked with Ricky Gadsden a little bit to get some starts when you were with Kawasaki. But I remember saying, do you think you could beat Ricky Gadsden off the line? And you just like laughed in my face and said, I'm sure I couldn't. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I really thought, but talk, tell us about that, Eric. You were known for pretty, your, your ability to start. Did that, was that something you developed in your career? Yeah, I think that developed from the dirt track, but I raced against a lot of dirt trackers. So maybe I just put a little bit more um, like I, energy into it. And then I think there's also a, my dad's words in the back of my head, which were go to Lodi. And it was, and, and also like Fremont and, and uh, San Jose, Newman, all these tracks. And they're, they're gladiator pits, you know, like if you, if you didn't get a start, you probably weren't going to win. And, and so my dad would always say, look, if, if you put a lot of energy into the start, you're going to take a lot less risk. 
and and you'll there's a very good chance you'll win if you get the start. So uh, so hearing kind of those words of wisdom, uh, my dad was really really hands off. Like he probably never gave me a single riding tip, but he 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 always played it pretty safe, and uh, that was probably one of his his big pieces of safety wisdom, which is get a good start and let all that let everything else shake out behind you. Okay, you brought up the value of of losing as well as winning, and when when I what comes to mind with me with you, um, and one of one what had to have been a, a really difficult loss was in that superbike or the Supersport Championship at Willow Springs when Curtis passed you, you know, on the last two corners, um, and that gave him the championship. Is that does that would that have been your toughest loss? Yeah, I think it was the toughest loss, but it wasn't like, you know, Curtis and I always had some pretty clean, good racing and, um, and Curtis wouldn't have, you know, had that opportunity had Jamie Acking not broadsided me in turn eight, which was like 160 mile an hour turn. He just ran smack into the side of my bike. Um, which was, uh, which, which just, you know, pisses you off when you look back. You're like, you know, like pretty, pretty uh you know it, it, you have a lot more races in your career and and here you know like that anyway, i guess it could be explained any other way which is you know sure jamie said the last race of the season i left the door open i don't think i did at all but um but i i, I really nearly like just wadded the bike at you know six gear wide open and um uh, and so that that uh that gave curtis the opportunity but um yeah, it, you know, there's some some people you really like racing against, like Curtis. I always enjoyed racing against him. And then there's some other people, like you know, kind of like uh, Jimmy Hack and Aaron Yates, which I never really had any good races against them. Like you know, <laughs> right? They, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I I even enjoyed racing against Matt. You know, Matt was a total jerk. You know, on and off the racetrack, but I, you know, he like tried to intimidate everyone, but I really enjoyed racing him. Like he, he would, he would race hard and, and, and close, but he would, he would race clean. And, uh, and that was, that was rad. You know, you mentioned that Maladin and I brings up, I, I always think of VIR in that, uh, checkered flag, which we've shown that photo on our throwback Thursday, but can you talk about that race a little bit in that ending? And did, did you, did you know that you won that race? Yeah, I knew. <laughs> I was watching my front wheel. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it, you know, that, that race weekend was awesome. It was also kind of a nightmare because on Saturday we were winning the race going away and then the bike broke and um, any chance we had in the championship disappeared in that moment. And, um, and then that, uh, that, that whole Sunday thing was just a total debacle and it started off with uh you know, like, I, I mean, I won that race five times that day. And uh, each time got a little bit harder because the races kept getting shorter and the gap kept getting closer. And, and my margin of, I guess, lead kept narrowing up. And, uh, and, the, and some of the red flags were obviously totally bogus. I mean, like, when Nikki crashed and burnt his RC-51 to the ground, that was real. Like, okay, I get it. But when Aaron Yates was making snow angels out in turn three on the racetrack, yes. Like that's throwing not rocks. When you red flag a race. Yeah, that's not when you red flag a race. So, um, 
so uh the the final the final showdown it actually ended up being a good thing because it like that's what the fans come for right like and and that's what we show up to do like you you want to have a race and not just run away with it and uh the 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 final like seven lap dash was uh would was just enough to get matt really excited that he could win the race and we had like this total barn burner of a of a of a race to the end and um and i just like got like that perfect drive out of last turn because for a while there i was thinking oh no like i i didn't I, i'm not where i need to be and i just nailed the last like downhill section i left him a little bit of a gap and then came down that hill and kind of put it all on the line it was like you know the bike moving around from curb to curb but like uh but i i was able to get the power down and uh, about the time we came by hit row entry which is pretty early in the straightaway i was like i got this thing <laughs> like bobby you better get out of the way because i'm coming right for you and uh i can't believe that he like stayed out there with the checkered flag that would oh, be yeah. terrifying you have you know two super bikes coming at you at 180 miles an hour and, and like it, it you know bar to bar and there's bobby like waving the checkered flag i was, I, I couldn't believe that he he stuck that he he didn't just like jump i would have jumped to the other side of the pit wall <laughs> yeah and, and and for the fans for the listeners who may not remember or know it's he's talking eric's talking about bobby lemming our flag man at the time who was a legendary flag man and was on the track for a fair amount of times in these things i always wondered when he was out down at daytona but in this particular photo in this ending he was so close right there and i think we also have a photo eric of you on the podium with bobby handing the flag to you so we knew he he survived that moment clearly yeah i was thinking like uh maybe <laughs> that might have been a little hard on the ticker but he was he was cool you were asking who was the coolest maybe bobby lemmy <laughs> like, <laughs> standing standing that close to uh to to these monstrous machines okay let's fast forward <laughs> a little bit to uh well, let's fast forward all the way till now, since we don't have a ton of time left. Um, what, what, what's Eric Bostrom do now? I mean, obviously, there's you, you're not racing anymore. I know, I know you uh, you raced bicycles. I don't know if you're still doing that professionally or not, but I know that was a big part of your life after retirement. So fill us in a little bit on what what's been going on with you and and what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's Eric's been busy, man. It's. Uh... The, the bicycle has been great to kind of fill that competitive void. And it's true, I haven't been doing too many races lately. Um, been doing a little bit of a ambassador program for Giant and the e-bicycles. And uh, so I was able to join Tom Hicks down at his shop there for the uh, the Giant launch. And that's cool. Uh, Long Beach um, at the show, we were all hanging out. It's just cool to reconnect with the, the motorcycle community in kind of a uh, in that direction i've been doing a lot of stuff well coaching with fast track with um jeremy coy jake Demke, chris ulrich and a few others which has been really cool to try to give back because most people think you kind of got to try harder to go faster and it really couldn't be farther from the truth you just have to know what you're asking and then ask correctly and uh and so i think we can like you know in the coaching thing we've really been trying to teach riders how to you know, reach reach for their goals without without extending their wrists faster on the bike, which will keep them coming back to the track. And I think I've I've noticed a huge difference out there at other club fast track riders 
with the uh, kind of level of uh, general level of variety and skill. So <laughs> that's been rad. And out of that started um, a kind of a high performance riding camp uh, in Temecula on KLX 140s that I've been hosting intermittently. And it's like, um, it's just, it's kind of like Danny Walker's super camp. We just go out there and like bash around, but it's um, a very like road race centric instruction on why you know why what what signs you're looking from the motorcycle to uh to, to you know um, how to apply braking and and just if more or less riding efficiency and then my big big thing has been on the health and wellness side of things with the launch of my brand backmate and kind of a like little bit of backstory is um i didn't realize what retired me from racing and it it Came more and more clear that just riding the bike was was not fun, but it I, it was from the side of pain, right? I, I really struggled in that position with neck pain from uh, from compressing my cervical spine, and um, and having like tried like you know that sort of let's say extreme left path of medication, and then that extreme right path of surgery, and I was like, man, I, the medication I'm just numbing a symptom. I've tried it, it's not working. And uh and then, you know, I don't want to do surgery. But the center path is like I don't have enough time to be a like PT every day during the week. And um so I, I need to figure this out. And out of that came my friend Backmate, which is kind of a philosophy on taking care of your body and understanding that chronic pain comes from repetition and our daily routine. So it's uh it, it was been really neat. We launched on Kickstarter last year at this time, and and um and since then I've delivered almost uh I think we've delivered about twenty five hundred um, backmates uh, across the world, and I've had like really really cool feedback. I mean like 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 words like this thing's game changer, and and just like really sincere comment from people that I've never met before that don't know anything about motorcycles. But the the Kickstarter thing was really successful because of the motorcycle community. I had so many people like kind of reach out and say, you know, say hi and uh and back us on Kickstarter. And I, I really think they got like a kick ass product or kick ass deal because it was ninety nine dollars on there and it's like this beautiful piece of stainless steel, super robust and and uh really versatile for you know all these different modalities of therapy. And what I've found is that, you know, had I been on to this, I don't think I would have left the sport in 2008 as uh, just taking care of the the headaches and the spasms and discomfort issues that I had at that time would have been easily kind of uh, manageable had I been able to kind of work on my nervous system. And the backmate kind of thing is, is a very simple philosophy, which is we need you know, to take care of our bodies. And with that, you know, the nervous system and brain being at, at the top, we, we need to be able to have this conversation with them. And by doing the different uh, therapies with massage and trigger point, we can calm the nervous system, which then teaches the brain to have a different conversation um, with, uh, with the feedback that it's giving, um, the neuromuscular feedback. And, uh, and, and then with that, the 
the signal is changed and the body gets into a restorative state and and you actually start recovering and the body recovers pretty quickly but the problem is, is we always get in the way and uh, medication is a great example i mean all, all medication really slows the body's natural healing process so it's sort of like this push to get everyone to empty their medicine cabinet and um, stop following a symptom and actually address the problem with therapy as opposed to, to numbing that symptom which is so frustrating but it, it is it is the way our society does it so i'm on a on a big big mission lifelong mission i couldn't be happier where i'm at to try to get people from taking the path that i took which ultimately probably ended my career eric can you explain what the device actually is i've seen pictures of it and what it I, can you explain what it is and how it was developed who who created it yeah it was um so it's it's an expandable bar if you know what that is like just a bar that expands into a doorway and once it's in your doorway mm -hmm. you can do the different therapy modalities by leaning into it or, or pushing against it in a variety of different ways because it um dustin my partner who i grew up together with and uh also a motorcycle enthusiast uh he he broke his back when we were kids and so uh we've, we've kind of always had these conversations and we're on a dirt ride and I had built this sort of Franken contraption and he was telling me how much how well it was working for him so we decided to like go forward and actually make something really good and uh, so Dustin added in like these a, a different uh, rotation axes um, once it's in your doorway it can rotate 180 degrees and then the head um, has four different positions which are rotates as well and then we have different wheel sets. So the wheel sets, you can more or less adjust the amount of pressure that you want to use. And of course, you can adjust the amount of pressure by how hard you lean into it. But um, once, like, if, if you have, like, uh, you know, like, perfect example, like, people have headaches and they go to Thailand. 90% of headaches come from the neck. And with the back mate, you can get, or, or really with maybe any, like, your hand or anybody, anybody's hands, that knows what they're doing you can get rid of a headache within usually a minute with a you know a, a small amount of knowledge and a little bit of therapy and, and touch on the neck so the back mate allows you to do that yourself and the same can be said like if you're having numbness in your hands because you're typing on the computer it's very easy to to address that with some different uh different therapy and in the the trap and um in the back along the spinal so um, it's, it's like this really, really, I guess, uh, I'm like doing on explain this, uh, really versatile device. You can fits anywhere in the doorway. So for, if you're a runner and you want to do your calves, like I've not found anything to beat it yet. And, uh, and then mm. obviously addressing wow. low back, low back pain in the, like, uh, working in the hip and the glute medius minimus pretty, pretty quick and easy ways to address. A, a lot of different pains and i think the bigger mission is you know how can we put this information in an easily digestible way so if somebody is having the you know a, a symptom we can direct them to the the problem and give them an easy way to address it without having to become a doctorate of, of physical therapy to understand what's happening with their body and that's Go to mybackmate.com, I think. Is that right, Eric, to look into yeah. it? 
Yeah, that's right. We have a bunch of instructional videos on uh, YouTube at my backmate as well on our channel. So a uh, ton of ton of information there, and we're continually building. We have uh, some some blogs that will give you like on the mybackmate.com site will give uh, some some pretty good insight to pain. But ultimately, like you know, many of us, especially motorcycle enthusiasts, are aging, and we can we can fight back. I think you know my dad's a great example of uh, you know being nearly 80 now and, and definitely one of the fastest guys when we go flat tracking anywhere we go um, so so uh, you know wow but the reason the reason that is the reason he's programmed the way he is, is be, because of his mobility like he's he's in he's in good shape he cares about his health and so by doing these different therapy modalities we can keep our mobility and then of course add in those other pillars which is like rest and stress and um bmi right with our general health and diet so um that's sort of like the next thing for backmate we want to get a little bit more into this information about diet and um and how we can improve our rest and and basic health overall health strategy so it's uh it's a work in progress but it's been really fun we have some new products coming out in the next um three or four months, and then a, another Kickstarter launch in 2021. So we're sort of at the, we're, we're at the early stages of, of trying to make something really good, to give people alternatives to natural too. Well, I should say alternatives from traditional medicine and just a, a, a natural approach to healing the body. And also that like, that know-how of like, whoa, this has happened and I, I know what to do. And it, it's so, uh, so magical to, to know that you have this ability to heal your body because ultimately our bodies heal from the inside out. Any Anytime we go and put something into them, whether it's surgery or medication, the body's rejecting that. And uh, and so we just want to augment the body's ability to, to relax so it can actually do what it knows how to do. So that, I guess on that is, uh, I have this theory, like, or, you know, I think the easiest way to think about it is we all know about working out, but it's really important to work in too, right? And that's sort of that recovery phase. So uh, if, if somebody says, Eric, how do I get better? You know, how do I get better on the bike? It's like, well, end your workout five minutes sooner and make sure you add some recovery into your workout to keep your mobility and mus you know, muscle flaccid and, and improve your mobility. That's our you're actually going to be stronger. That's how you're going to move quicker on the bike and, um, and, and, and move forward. That's great advice. Um, man, I got about 15 other things I wanted to ask you about, but we're kind of out of time here. But one thing I wanted to touch on is uh, we're, we just announced that we are the, the date for the round at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. It's going to be our ninth, ninth round of the 10 round season. It's moving to October 23rd to 25th. And the reason I bring it up on this is when we had Ben on, and I know I was talking to Ben before, and I do know, Eric, that you are Eric. So Ben told us that he's been trying to talk you into riding in this King of the Baggers Invitational, which is going to be at that round on October 23rd to 25th. And so how about another announcement out, out of you? Um, are you riding in that King of the Baggers? And which, which team are you riding for? Well, you know... If there's an opportunity to kick Ben's ass, you can count me in. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, 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 as long as I'm on the same equipment, I'll, uh, I'll probably be on the same team he's on, which I don't know who that is. 
<laughs> well, that's good. That that's something to look forward to. Hey, Sean, you know how you called? Uh, you know how you called Eric Ben? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just called. I'll never live it down. You just called Laguna Seca Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca when it's actually weather time. So <laughs> you're in trouble all around. I think it's I think it's the COVID thing. I think I got COVID brain or something. You're right. It's Tech Raceway. Oh my God! Uh, oh boy! Well, look, you guys. Let's, I, October twenty. <laughs> you got you got the date right. Please. I'm happy that yeah. we can end on. I'm happy we can end on giving each other a hard time. I miss you guys. It's uh, it's gonna be cool to see you all at the racetrack and make sure you cheer for me, not Ben. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's been, yes, exactly. It's been uh, it's been good chatting with you again, and it's it's nice to see that. Uh, your life has turned out uh, as well as it has, and you seem like a, a happy young man. So that's uh, that's good for everybody, and we do look forward to seeing you at Laguna Seca. And you know, I'll uh, I'll pull for you against Ben. How's that? Maybe maybe Sean can pull right for on. Ben, and I pull for Eric, and then that way it's kind of fair. <laughs> Sean's gonna pull for Ben twice. He's gonna be like, <laughs> go, right. ben. Gonna go Ben, go Ben. <laughs> ben won even when it was there. Oh God. <laughs> okay, you um, guys. Hey, I just want to get I just want to get into for everybody just, you know, thanks to the fans for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to Moto America Live Plus, our popular stri subscription streaming service, easy for me to say. And also, don't forget to get your race weekend tickets. Go to motoamerica.com/buy for complete details because our season is starting a 10-round series and it's next weekend without fans but after that bring on the fans and uh and get, and see eric bostrom ride a bagger down through the corkscrew how can you beat that awesome yeah thanks eric <laughs> awesome guys have a great day thank you you too